Welcome to This Week in the Warner Archive Collection, where we discuss our newest releases. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be joined by my colleagues, Matt Patterson and D.W. Ferranti. Not five, not ten, not fifteen, but twenty. Twenty! Count them, twenty. Twenty new releases coming your way this week on DVD from the Warner Archive Collection. Most of them are brand new releases. Some of them are returning to DVD, but all from WAC. So let's get the party started with the first of two television series that we're bringing to DVD. The first is The Adventures of Superboy, which began its first and second season as just Superboy, but then turned so adventurous that seasons three and four were termed The Adventures of Superboy. So season three coming to you from Warner Archive Collection. We also have season one of a great Warner Brothers Western classic television series, Sugarfoot, starring Will Hutchins as... Sugarfoot. Of course, you guessed it. Then we have feature films that are making their DVD debut, three of them starring Jimmy Stewart. We have Vivacious Lady of Human Hearts and No Time for Comedy. Then we go into the land of monogram with Wife Wanted and Kilroy Was Here. Then, returning from Warner Brothers, Warner Home Video releases that are now coming back from WAC, you have the great Santini, Kansas City bomber, Wise Guys, Other People's Money, The Spitfire Grill, Carpool, Zero Effect, and Without Limits. But we have some limits because we also have to let you know about the Paramount titles. But wait, there's more! Yes, there's much more. We have the miracle of Morgan's Creek. And anything goes. Brother, Son, Sister Moon, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, and Lifeguard. So that's a lot to talk about. I'm exhausted already. Let's start with the TV and our favorite superhero as a young man, Superboy. The Adventures of Superboy. Dan, let's go down a list of what's different between season two and season three. When we last left our hero. Well, I also think uh, this would be a timely place to plug our appearance at a certain comic book related oh, event. Gosh, I totally forgot about that because we're um, in Speaking the past. Speaking of Superboy and comics. Yeah. Okay, so we have two panels at Comic-Con. So if you're coming to Comic-Con, you have two, two chances to see the WAC podcast sharing a lot of exciting fun. The first one is a Thursday at 1245. Dan, why don't you tell us about that panel? Oh, well, I think we should keep some surprises. All right, check your uh, schedule. Let's check your Comic-Con schedule. Let's just look say for the Warner Archive collection. It's intergalactically super Animated. Heroic. Animated. That's our animation panel. And then we go into a live action panel on Friday. That's also, I think, at 1.30? 1.30 p.m. With some very, very, very special guests. Very special guests. George, any hints? Any hints? Can you tell me? Because you haven't told me yet. Okay, it's but it but it will be on. Let's just say, not your A movies. How's that? That's good. Yeah, check your local listings. All right, now let's get back now to Superboy Super because we've now, got a lot to do. Now we've alluded to this in the past. You know, each season of Superboy goes through a series of changes. Yes. A lot of this is due to Gerard Christopher's casting for the second season because Gerard Christopher was a very big Superboy fan. But there yeah. also were DC Comics writers working on the show as well as some very talented TV writers like Stan Berkowitz, etc. And the show sort of becomes less and less sort of overtly up and campy and a little more serious. And this season was very much, I would call it a pre-X-Files. That's exactly what's different. Well, the big move, as you just alluded to, was that he left Schuster University. 
And he starts working for the department, the it's bureau. the bureau. The bureau. The bureau of extra normal matters. Right, which is essentially the X-Files before there was the X-Files. Yeah, exactly. And so Lana came along. And they go out every week. They've got a boss, and they uh, look up paranormal activity. Yeah, and I also think the the name change was reflecting sort of like a, both a nod of respect to the original adventures of Superman and a, and a real embracing of the genre roots because we sort of have a weekly encounter with a science fiction or a horror element, but it's all sort of played out in the comic book world of Superman. There's some very interesting cross-pollination happening in this season and that uh, if you remember the episode The Road Not Taken mm-hmm. where he meets an alternate Earth right. version and that Superboy's That's wearing a, a leather jacket and sunglasses and he's sort of a more punk rock Superboy and this was right at around the same time that they relaunched the character of Superboy in the DC Comics the clone Superboy Connell, who is wearing a leather jacket and a dark sunglasses so I think they were influenced I always other. thought that they were going to introduce another character that ran an electricity company called Con Ed <laughs> but it didn't work out that way no. I think this season really cemented that they had changed cast members in season 2 this was the series really hitting its stride yeah. and it's the not... name change was very much really reflective of them embracing the show Yeah, and I think if things had gone you know, that they probably wanted to do even beyond the yeah, I mean, I th- Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that stopped the fourth season was the launching of another show. Well, there was... Involving there was the same character. Superman yeah. going on at this time. And I guess the other noticeable thing was this wasn't, like, sunny Florida anymore. This no. was, <laughs> like... Dark central it, city. And they were really trying to, and as Dan, you were saying really take a lot of influence from the comic books by making it almost a little more noir, as noirish as Florida could be. And, and most impressively, <laughs> yeah. it's in stereo where available. Yeah. In stereo. And uh, <laughs> I think for me, the, the, the standout, really, I think even perhaps of the whole series is the season three two-part closer, mm. The Road to Hell, which is another alternate Earth adventure, only this one involves Superboy meeting an older version of himself played by the great... Ron Ely. Which makes Ron Ely the ultimate Philip Jose Farmerian because he played Superman, Tarzan, and Doc Savage. And we got a chance to talk to him at WonderCon earlier in the year a little bit about this role and how uh, important and how wonderful, you know, he uh, felt about this. And it's right there in the series. Also, don't want to spoil anything, but in his world, Lex Luthor's a good guy. So fans had to wait six years between season one and season two. Probably, I'd say, about seven months, eight months between season two and season three. So that's a lot better. And the wait for season three to season four will be even shorter So we're looking forward to bringing you the whole series just in time for Christmas. That is the news. You've heard it here. Superboy from Warner Archive Collection. We're the ones to bring you the Man of Steel information. The Boy of Steel. The Boy of Steel. And that's sweet news indeed. Speaking of sweet. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. It's as sweet as sugar. And Will Hutchins is Sugarfoot. The 1957 Warner Brothers Western hit that ran for four seasons on ABC and is now coming your way 
on disc the complete first season from the Warner Archive collection. And this is based on a feature film that's in the Warner Archive collection, The Boy from Oklahoma, which starred Will Rogers Jr. and was directed by Michael Curtiz. And we just released earlier this year. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. And cast members from that movie. From that movie, yeah. And they, are and, in this show. And the season opener, Boots of Brannigan, which is very much based on the, the boy from Oklahoma, will you see some very welcome, familiar faces like Slim Pickens. What's nifty about this, too, is there's a little bit of a change in the character because he's... He's a little bit younger. He's a little younger. And he can use a gun. He just chooses not to right. because of the... There's a backstory with his father. And he's not doing, it's not rope tricks. There's, he still does He the still does not but, but I mean like but the. he's no Roe Rogers Jr. Exactly. But he's a fine young actor. And I just like to say, what is a Sugarfoot, Dan? Well, Sugarfoot is one level below a Tenderfoot. A but tenderfoot. I'm from New England, so that's as much as I can give you. Well, because a Tenderfoot is like also the lowest level of Boy Scout. Oh, wait. Goofyfoot, that has something to do with surfing. Now I'm out. <laughs> Will Hutchins really endeared himself to uh, American television audiences with his appearance on this series. And this was in rotation with Cheyenne. This is when the Cheyenne show embraced other characters. And the show very much takes place in what we can call the shared Western yes. Warnerverse. Warner World. There's a cameo from a certain Bart in the episode Price on His Head, and it's mm-hmm. very uncredited, but very fun. As you said, Warner World, one of my little favorite moments at the, at the very end of the second episode, they pan up and I see Mount Wilson in the background, so that's very much on the lot, you know, the, the in the little western town. That was the Laramie Street, Laramie which was Street. in existence here until about, I'd say, 2005, 2006. And, and you were there at the closing party, yes, right? Yes, the whole, everybody who worked here was invited for a barbecue because... They had only used the Western set five times in the previous seven years, including leasing out to third parties. And it was a very painful decision for the studio, but they had to, they built condominium looking fronts that could be used for other shows that also serve as offices. Right. Today, those are actually functional spaces. Those are where the writers are for like. Right. But uh, across the the street, you still have like the certain country related things that you'll recognize from Dukes and the Tarzan. Like there are little bits of it still there, but it's, uh, you know, in the contemporary era, it's always sad to see something like that go. But the, Makes you wish there was a Phantom of Hollywood. Well, <laughs> there is if you go to WarnerArchive.com and buy it on DVD. What I was interesting about how they adapted Boy from Oklahoma to uh, Sugarfoot was, you know, at the end of Boy from Oklahoma, he sets up himself in town as a lawyer. And you would think that was a fine setup for the show, but I guess because all the other Western heroes wandered, Sugarfoot had to wander too. So he continues his correspondence classes going from town to town. They use this, uh, it's been coined like traveling angel technique of going from town to town, but he had a unique and different set of talents than the normal Western hero. He was bringing his brain. Bringing his brain and bringing a willingness to talk things out. Yeah, talk it out. So there are a plethora, there's that word again, of great guest stars. Super guest stars. Dennis Hopper, James Garner. It's really what fans have been waiting for, the Warner Westerns. They want more of them from Warner Archive. And now, in addition to Cheyenne, we're proud to add Sugarfoot yeah, to the and, lineup. And hopefully shortly you'll be able to do your own rotating lineup and recreate Ooh. the weeks of Wouldn't the late Wouldn't that 50s. be wonderful? Yes. It would be a virtual duel at Judas Basin. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going right. on to feature films. And uh, someone who could have been 
Sugarfoot, really. <laughs> Absolutely. When you think about yeah, it, because yeah. one of the yeah. most down-home yeah. beloved American actors of all time, Mr. James Stewart. Whoa. And we put a focus on the early years of his career with two films from 1938 and one film from 1940. And the first we're going to talk about is one of the most requested in our library, finally making its DVD debut. George Stevens' delightful comedy, Vivacious Lady, with Ginger Rogers, co-starring with Mr. James Stewart. And Dan, you were mentioning something interesting to me about the casting in this film. The character of Jimmy Stewart's mother is played by Beulah Bondi. What an interesting concept. Now, and if you're a fan of either Ms. Bondi or Mr. Stewart, you would be aware that they have teamed up not just once, but four times Plus one more time, I'll talk about later. Pula Bondi also co-stars in the next film of Human Hearts. And then, of course, very famously uh, played his mother, Miss Smith Goes to Washington. And It's a Wonderful, it's a wonderful Life, life of course. in which she was wonderful. But Vivacious Lady, it's really Ginger Rogers' movie. Right. James Stewart was really making a name for himself. He was on loan out from MGM. Uh, didn't she recommend him for this yes. role? They were good friends. And uh, Ginger was really the number one box office female star at RKO at that time, having moved past just working with Fred Astaire, she had done a lot of work on her own that had also been successful. And this was really a starring, sparkling comedy for her. And Jimmy Stewart's wonderful in it. And, and, the, and the setup uh, reminded it's, me very much of Ball of Fire because right. you've got the nightclub singer and, and the professor. I mean, it plays out very differently in Vivacious Lady. It's a marriage it, comedy. But it's it's two people who fall desperately in love, but one's a square and one's a circle. Uh, that's good. But basically, I think the bulk of the film is like they got to let the dad know. Yeah, it's, they are married in secret. Right, one day courtship. Which is courtship. something I wouldn't know anything about. No, nothing did. <laughs> And, and they spend, you didn't relate to this no, at all. And they spend the, the bulk of the, <laughs> the film of trying the film. to come out and being stymied. But yeah. there's a wonderful cast. There's a Jimmy Stewart. I didn't know that stymied. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is Jimmy no, Stewart, no, you know, in his high comedy chops, especially in the climax where we, you get yeah, to see drunk he, Jimmy Stewart. He, he's wonderful. <laughs> and and uh, MGM was still trying to figure out exactly what to do with him because they had him in a similar kind of comedy, which is also part of uh, Warner Archive Collection. It's a Wonderful World, which is co-starring Claudette Colbert, which he did the following year. But the next film in the group that we're releasing on DVD for the first time is a much more serious, poignant film that Clarence yeah. Brown directed called Of Human Hearts. And Beulah Bondi and Walter Houston play the parents of James Stewart. And yeah, and James Stewart doesn't really show up till the second no, half of the film. because he's Gene Reynolds in yeah. the beginning. But, and this, <laughs> this is a pre-Civil War, Civil War film. Antebellum. Uh, about an ungrateful son. Yeah. And Jimmy Stewart delivers... One of the most amazing monologues I've ever seen in the second half of this film. You really and see that his extraordinary skill as an actor. He's 30 years old. And then, of course, by 1939, not only did he do work at MGM, but they were loaning him out everywhere. He was loaned out to Universal for Destry Rides Again, to Columbia for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And, and he really carved such an impressive right, gallery of roles uh, in this early period of his life. It's pretty extraordinary, especially like in this film where you really see him like go, ah, here's my chance to show you my real dramatic right. side and how absolutely he nails it. And he came from the stage, and the stage is the setting for the third film 
in this uh, trio of new to DVD releases. And this is also a first time on home video title. This is a film that was never on VHS. Wow, so really? The DVD premiere is quite notable because this is a sparkling, delightful comedy with wit bursting from every frame. And that's No Time for Comedy, co-starring James Stewart and Rosalind Russell. Rosalind Russell's terrific. What's also really terrific about this film is the script, which so, should be no surprise considering it came from the Epstein brothers. Right. But, wow, what a great script. What a great premise. Uh, it's sort of like a, a more stage-bound Sullivan's Travels in that Jimmy Stewart plays a really, really talented comedian who's talked into thinking he needs to do something serious. He's a playwright. He's a playwright. Oh, I he isn't comedian. necessarily I'm a comedian. Sorry. Yes, yeah, playwright. But he, but he writes spoke. comedies. He writes comedies. He writes yes. comedies. And, and they try to tell him that there's no time for comedy. There's yeah. no time to. Right. You know. But, but, but but you it's know, also again, a screwball comedy, so it, we have oh, relationships yeah. crisscrossing. It's it's another uh, marriage comedy, yeah. really. And there aren't very many films that are about the theater. Right. They're, of course, All About Eve is probably the most famous one. And then you have a musical like The Bandwagon. But Hollywood didn't very often make movies about Broadway unless it was just a vehicle to use as... Excuses right. for people to perform in to a perform. musical. No, yeah. But the, to actually talk about theater folk and the interactions but, of behind the Broadway the scenes. community. But boy, this you is know, one it, of the rare times they in had its had. heyday, if you had four comedy heads on Broadway, you oh, certainly yeah. had a Long Island estate. Uh, he was very well off. I think he could have taken really the financial hit of not doing comedy. This film was re-released in the 1950s uh, with a very strange title, mm. Guy with a Grin. <laughs> uh, and Warner Brothers took two movies and re-released them with different titles. There was a Force of Arms with William Holden, which got re-released as A Girl for Joe. <laughs> and then No Time for Comedy was re-released as Guy with a Grin. Uh, now, this wasn't a matter of, oh, we'll no. change the title so we'll make people think it's a different movie. There was truth in no, advertising. No, no. They had on the main title formerly entitled No Time for Comedy. Well, every time you've seen this movie since then, you've seen it with this re-rigged main title card. So not only have we remastered the movie or are we putting it out on DVD, but we've restored the main titles. So you're not seeing an anachronistic Warner Brothers 1950s logo, and you're not seeing the guy with the grin main title card. The main title is now restored in the movie, and we hope you'll enjoy all three of these James Stewart movies. And it's interesting to note that both Jimmy Stewart and Rosalind Russell were under contract to MGM and loaned out to Warner Brothers to make this movie. And this is part of the way that studios traded contract players right. for their needs. And I believe Jimmy Stewart's involvement in this was somehow tied to Olivia de Havilland being loaned out for some other film. And, it really you know, was like uh, horse trading. Yes, yeah. yes, because you people know? were under contract to the studios. But James Stewart, he was really he was at RKO in Columbia and right. uh, Universal as well as MGM his home base and so uh, he really got around but we really recommend all three of these movies now we go from the big studio land of Warner Brothers and MGM and RKO to Poverty Row and Monogram because we have another celebration of Monogramania and Ooh. we have two Monogram films from the 1940s that are Low in budget, but high in quality. And, and fun. Rarely seen and a great deal of fun. So we have Wife Wanted, which is the last film to star one of Warner Archive Collection's favorite leading ladies, 
Kay Francis. And we have Kilroy was here starring not one but two childhood stars named Jackie as grown-ups, Jackie mm-hmm. Cooper and Jackie Coogan, together in a film produced by the one and only Sid Luft. Kay Francis and Wife Wanted, it's a noirish thriller about a, a wife ring, a matrimony ring, and a blackmail ring. And not we're, black market. But not black market Bye, baby. No. Black market bro. Well, it, it starts out with the classified ads. It's the yeah. Craigslist warning right. of its day. But, but yeah, very poignantly, Kay Francis is playing a movie star whose yes. son is setting and, yeah. and then gets tries to get involved in real estate because she's losing her career and then she gets mixed up with this ring. And there's an irony to that because Kay Francis co-produced yeah. this she film. She did. She loved the this script. This was the third of three films films that she co-produced for Monogram. The K. Francis Monogram Trilogy. The first two are not part of our holdings, Allotment Wives and Divorce, but this third one, Wife Wanted, is and is also the one that most people haven't been able to see, but that's why we have now mastered it and put it out on DVD so that the K. Francis Monogram Trilogy can be complete for the K. Francis Completists. And uh, this really parallels what was going on in her career. She had to produce movies to basically stay working. And finally, she just came to a very comfortable place in her life where she retired from the screen. Right. And uh, there's a really wonderful biography of her called I Just Want to Be Forgotten. Right. And uh, it really goes into the detail of the kind of woman that she was. and uh, Her memoirs uh, are quite an eyebrow razor. Uh, yeah. You know, I think we've done a lot uh, with our releases to help repopularize her. And there and, will be more. And there will be more of Kay in Precode. But this is Kay and, at Monogram with Paul Cavanaugh and directed by, I believe, Phil Carlson. Yes. I just wanted to read directly from the movie poster because oh, I like uh, I this part. Here's the whole shocking story of a so-called friendship club that sells marriage, (laughs) companionship, and romance, but delivers shame and extortion. And once again, it's like what Monogram would do that the major studios wouldn't. There's another poster. I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's it's to the effect of, it took a raid for the truth to come out. Uh, And we should also clarify that the name of this film is Wife Wanted. It isn't Rife Wanted. (laughs) Just in case. Just in case there are any K. Francis people that understand that. (laughs) Does that bring us to Kilroy was here? Indeed it does. And you have a unique opportunity to see as grown adults two of the biggest child stars of 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 film history. Uh, In the 1920s, Jackie Coogan was a discovery of Charlie Chaplin starring in The Kid in 1921. And then in 1930, Jackie Cooper really burst from our gang Almost immediately was a star, the whole, what I call the Miss Crabtree trilogy (laughs) of of, uh, Teacher's Uh, Pet, School's Out, and Love Business, Uh where June Marlowe is Miss Crabtree. Who didn't have a crush on Miss Crabtree? I mean, and and Where's that that box set? Well, unfortunately, we don't own those because Uh. if we did, uh, there would be. But I always refer to that as the trilogy, even though Miss Crabtree is in some of the other gang shorts. There's that whole arch, but Jackie Cooper made such an impression, and also his uncle was Norman Torog, who was a famous director, and he went to Paramount and did Skippy, and I believe he was nominated for an Oscar for Skippy. It's either Skippy or The Champ. I think it was The Champ. Maybe The Champ. But 
from Skippy, he ended up getting an MGM contract and ended up in the champ with Wallace Beery and became teamed with Wallace Beery in, in a group of films and made a lot of films on his own as well, but really had a very seasoned career as a major star at MGM in the 1930s. I think he had an easier adjustment into adult roles and eventually became a director and then a TV star on The People's Choice and Hennessy. But Jackie Coogan had a little bit more of a bumpy road. Until the finest casting of all time. Until he became best known to everyone as Uncle Fester. We got a tie-in to uh, Superboy because we all know that Jackie Cooper went on to play. That's right. Perry White. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what Kilroy was here. Yeah, exactly. Okay, it is shrouded in mystery, actually. And this was a big pop culture phenomenon during the war. My dad talks about Kilroy all the time. And basically, it was a piece of graffiti and it said Kilroy was here and it was a company with a doodle of a guy with a big nose peering over, over a, a ledge. Yeah. Right. So and, people would draw that. And the origins, nobody has actually ever satisfactorily figured out what it was. But in 1946, I think it was the New York Times, published a story of a gu- one guy who, James J. Kilroy, claimed to be the, the author. Kilroy. The Kilroy. And that's also the so that's, name that, of the character. Yeah, so that's the springboard for that's that. That's the springboard from this in 1947. Yeah. Jackie Cooper and Jackie Coogan play a couple of servicemen. The war has just recently ended. Jackie Cooper is, unfortunately, has the name of... Kilroy. Yes. And he wants to go to college. And what's really great and inspiring about the film is the amount of tension the GI Bill gets in the film. Oh, yeah. Because it's something that people today don't really know or recall. And given what we're putting college-age kids through now and our veterans, it's really nice to see when we had a little bit more enlightened approach and how important the GI Bill was. Actually, I think Mickey Rooney's character in Andy Hardy when he came home and went back to college was also sponsored by the GI Bill. So... He wants to go back to college and better himself. A he's, good college. He's, he's a cabbie. He has friends who are cabbies. He wants to go to a good college because a very good friend of his that he served with who died went to this college. So he goes to the college and the Jackie Coogan character follows him and to help him out but gets him in a series of jams. Always getting him in trouble. Now, I just want to point out because we were talking about the Kilroy character and that the real-life person who claimed it was a, an inspector who would write it. But this character in this had nothing to do with it. It was just coincidence. But, but it, the specter of Kilroy was here. Uh, but yes, and, and circumstances conspired to make it appear that he is the real Kilroy yeah. when he just wants to be a college student. And hijinks ensue. Now, this film was such a big hit for a monogram that a year later there was a sequel that was called French Leave. Huh. <laughs> and it, it had uh, Jackie Cooper and Jackie Coogan uh, playing the same roles again. And uh, if all goes well, we'll bring you the sequel at some point. We'd like to I'm do that. I'm curious as to what yeah. happened. You'll have to wait and find out. But first, everybody must check out Kilroy Was Here and Wife Wanted as our two latest entries in our ever never-ending quest to pursue the goal of monogram mania to its finest. So with that, now we go to titles that have been available on DVD previously, have been out of print, and are now coming back into print. Matt. All right, I wanted to start with The Great Santini because not only is this back in print. This is more than just back in print. It's better than ever. It's not the same disc because now The Great Santini is presented in its original aspect ratio in widescreen, no more pan and scan, and it looks terrific. And this is a film 
that almost didn't get released theatrically. No. People who had run United Artists had formed their own small company, Orion, and they were distributing through Warner Brothers, and they made a lot. I think we've talked about this a little Mm -hmm. before on the podcast, but this film, Great Santini, had lots of different working titles. Right. And it wasn't really given a theatrical release. And it was playing on HBO yeah, under the, the title The Ace. Yeah. When somebody in the, I think the New York uh, Warner Brothers branch decided, hey, wait a minute, well, you know, the yeah. great Santini, people thought it was about a moving company because uh, of the Santini a, brother. Or a, or, a, or, a, or, a, or a circus. Circus. Yeah, yeah I so mean, it just was totally confusing. Now, if all of this sounds familiar, we've talked about the great Santini recently in one of our Warner Archive Collection podcasts because it's one of the hundreds and hundreds of films that are streaming as part of Warner Archive Instant, our new streaming service. But for people who want to own the great Santini and in have the it, correct aspect and ratio. have it in its for the first time, ratio for the first time, now this DVD makes it possible. And, uh, and Robert a, Duvall and Michael O'Keefe and Blythe Danner. Uh, the, all are the, yeah, it's it's an extraordinary film. When we talked about it before, I hadn't seen it, and yeah. this is just a, a, the kind of movie that you could come back to and and watch really multiple times because it went on a lot to become a big a hit. Yeah, the theatrical release. If if I'm, I don't know if I'm remembering correctly, but I, I believe Duval got nominated. Duval got nominated. It, it there was, was another two nom- and Michael two O'Keefe was nominated right. as I think well. Michael O'Keefe, right? I I was looking. I, if I not, he should have been. Well, I think and, he was. and it really gave way. You know, he had already uh, been filmed Caddyshack, <laughs> which he's best known for today. And then, of course, he was on Roseanne. He's a wonderfully talented actor. But um, the relationship between Duval and Michael O'Keefe in this film is yeah. really remarkable and complex, it's, painful, it's, realistic. It's the stuff that great cinema really it, is made. And of. if you've seen Prince of Tides, right. which is also from the same author, you get the flip side. You. you Pretty were, much can project the Michael O'Keefe character into the Nick Nolte character because it's two sides of the same story. And based off Pat of Conroy. two novels uh, right. written by the Great same novels, author. Pat Conroy. Recommend them highly. Now, seven years mm-hmm. earlier, a film that had absolutely nothing in common <laughs> with the great Santini but uh, was great no. in its own way and remains so is Kansas City Bomber. Well, the great Santini could have flown a bomber. That's right. It's <laughs> true. It wasn't fighters. <laughs> this one's a bomber. Um, and roller derby used to be a mainstay on television. Let's without, talk about why Kansas City Bombers okay, okay. important. It's oh because my. of Raquel Welch. That's right. Oh, not just because of roller skating, Dan? No, no. Because that was pretty important. It's oh a really good my. movie. Really She's good really movie. good. It's very realistic. It's very low-key. And this Kevin McCarthy's really, really good. I believe that the Raquel Welch was one of the producers. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, this was one of her attempts to get out of the stereotype of just being looked upon as the most beautiful woman on earth being objectified to being taken seriously as an actress and and that carries over actually into the script because uh, she plays it's like she's a working class single mom she's uh, you know into this sport but she's doing it and she has to be uh, separate from her family there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into it and she gets involved in shenanigans at the higher almost corporate level like great Santini Kansas City Bomber is also available as part of Warner Archive Instant in our streaming service. So you can Two stream it ways. or buy it. Two great ways to enjoy Raquel Welch. Now, we also have a film from the 1980s that was overlooked in its theatrical release, but is not your average Brian De Palma movie. No. <laughs> no, that's probably, I mean, yeah, so a wise guy comedy called Wise Guys. 
with Danny DeVito and uh, Joe Piscopo. Not uh, speaking of sports. Uh, as well as uh, a supporting cast of Ray Sharkey, Harvey Keitel, but Brian De Palma's name really popped out at me, and I was like, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this was one of the last films made at MGM just at the time that Ted Turner was buying MGM before he sold back the production company. So this was MGM in transition, and the release of this film kind of got caught during all of that buying and selling because it didn't have very much of a theatrical release and with a cast like that and a director like that it deserved more of an audience and it found it on home video and and, on television coming from New Jersey as speaking as the New Jersey native in the room this did make an impact in New Jersey because it also did have Lou Albano right uh, which isn't that far away from roller derby no his, his brother was my health teacher who taught me about sexual education and he would use wrestling metaphors and that was the same year i have a special connection to wise guys so recommendation so wise right guys now there. available speaking and of danny devito oh yeah he also stars in uh norman jewison's film other people's money along with the great gregory peck right other people's money from the breakout stage play which became a staple of community theaters all over america to this day really yeah oh yeah i, d- I didn't actually know that and this was uh, Gregory Peck's probably his last big role. I think he was in Cape Fear briefly, but uh, th- this was his last role. And interestingly, right, Danny DeVito plays a Wall Street mover and shaker who is almost married to his computer, which people thought was crazy. My favorite little <laughs> moment in it is that he wakes up in the morning and he says, good morning, baby. And he turns to his computer, which I think in 1991 was a big laugh. But I'm like, oh, my God, I do the same thing every morning. Except I'm looking at my email. Call your iPhone baby? Uh, Yes. Okay, you need help. Isn't that a song? I call my iPhone baby? I don't know. (laughs) Then we move on to the Spitfire Grill. From Greed to Redemption. 1996. This was a Sundance favorite. Huge Sundance breakout. Giant indie breakout film. Big bidding war. Um, Interestingly enough... Lee David Zil, Zil, I don't even know how to say his name very Just well. Just say MacGyver. MacGyver, the guy. The MacGyver Zol, creator. Zoltoff yeah. was the producer and director, and he created MacGyver. And Spitfire Grill is a story of redemption that takes place in, like, uh, New England, Dan, our New England expert. Vermont. Vermont, about a girl who comes out of prison we don't really know much about You her. believe that the girl needs a second chance, but it actually turns out to be humanity that needs a second That's chance, and it's no... Darn yeah, tootin'. They, they, we see, we see a very light but very thoughtful hand of the she creates, Roman Catholic organization she, behind the film. And then That's, we go from right. the sublime spitfire to the carpool. What? <laughs> that's funny. Well, I just wanted to say that, at least in Spitfire Grill, she formed humanity out of um, some different eggs and uh, bacon to create a great invention. But in Carpool, we create an amazing invention, which is called the minivan? Best Carjacking Ever. Tom Arnold in one of his finest screen performances, without question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fun little tidbit in Carpool to me is that the moral of the story is that kids don't like donuts. No, no, don't like, like not donuts. donuts. They don't like... Uh, they don't like Whole Foods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then we have another indie film, as it were, Zero Effect. 1998. Bill Pullman, Ben Stiller. It's a 
uh, it's a detective story, and sort of before the onslaught of quirky mm-hmm. detectives took over television. Absolutely. So it's very much a precursor film. It's from the son of Lawrence Kasdan, and it sort of combines Nero Wolf and Sherlock Holmes, with it's, Ben Stiller as the Archie Goodwin character, but the storyline very much sort of coming from Scandal Bohemia. Bill Pullman's really great. This. this film has a great cult following, and a lot of people really loved it at the time, but it was a little bit too... Quirky. Artistic yeah. and quirky to get a mainstream, if, you right, know... It, if you're a fan of BBC's Sherlock, oh, like yes, today, yeah, 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 oh, that's good. That's great. Zero, yeah, yeah. Effect, Zero effect. You'll is... be like, oh, this is like this has got some of the elements. And in it. last of the Warner returnees is Without Limits. Billy Crudup plays Prefontaine. And this was a film actually produced by Tom Cruise's uh, production company. Uh, Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner produced this movie. And uh, his involvement in the film wasn't that well uh, promoted, but the film really kind of also put Billy Crudup on the map Ah, as one of the finest young actors of of the time. And and playing off and Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland is wonderful. Who plays uh, the coach. We're now going to talk about five more of the wonderful Paramount Uh, pictures that are now back in DVD from Warner Archive Collection, and we start with one of the... Greatest films ever made. One of the greatest, <laughs> without question, Preston Sturge's magnificent The Miracle of Morgan's Creek from 1944, starring Betty Hutton and Eddie Bracken and William Demarest. And we have to, of course, call out that Betty Hutton's character is named... Cockenlocker. <laughs> Trudy. Trudy Cockenlocker. The whole film is Preston Sturges conducting an all-out assault on the code. Yes. It's like, I mean, we've talked about pre-code, but this is a code comedy. How can mm. you go right up to the line and dance on it? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and interestingly, Paramount sold its pre-1949 talking film library to another company uh, mm. for television distribution in the late 1950s and there were a few films that weren't part of the package and one of them is The Miracle of Morgan's Creek and the reason why Paramount still owns the movie it was considered too dirty to show on television <laughs> it's so not dirty it's I so think if dirty. it was rated by the MPAA it would probably get a PG yeah uh, although it should have gotten only a G. if it was Plus, rated in yeah. 1960 it would have gotten a G now they have to find a way to give something a but PG. it's a great comedy it's a great film it's a great Wonderful. setup it's a great cast. William Demarest especially is fantastic in and, this. And there is a very significant miracle there's that affects a miracle. the world. Yes. I just wanted to mention there's a very great framing device yeah. which calls back to the great McGinty because McGinty and the, yeah, liter- and, it's a and it's a boss. figurative and a literal reference to the great McGinty, which is a great earlier Preston Sturges film. But this disc has two wonderful documentaries on it about oh, the making of the film that really give you a great historical perspective. Paramount did a wonderful job putting this disc together when it was first available, and then it went out of print soon after. And now it is available from us at Warner Archive, and we're so. Pleased to bring it to you, just as Paramount created it with these wonderful documentaries on the disc. And in the documentaries are the late Eddie Bracken yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, Preston Sturge's widow and uh, historians that are familiar with Sturge's work. And they really are wonderful at framing the film and putting it in a perspective. So that gets the highest recommendation. This is a must-have. Must-have. Must-classic film Must-talk about. Even, yeah. Yes. No, it just is. Then we have Anything Goes starring Bing Crosby. Now, you may say, oh, but wait, there's two. Yes. Well, 
Bing Crosby's started in the 1936 version of Anything Goes with Ethel Merman. Oh, I thought you meant there were two Bing Crosby's. No, no. <laughs> but this is not that Anything Goes. Uh, this is a later Anything Goes that is a remake really almost in name only. It has very little to do with the 1934 Broadway musical of Anything Goes and the 1936 movie that Bing starred in with Ethel Merman, who was in the 1934 Broadway mm -hmm. production, is a little more faithful to the stage play. This uses the title... This uses some of the Cole Porter songs, but really is yeah. There's no designed to be a 19... Well, there is. Oh, okay. There is a cruise ship, but a very the, different yeah. plot. It's a different the kind. Plot is totally but different. there is a cruise ship, and there is uh, Donald O'Connor teamed with Bing Crosby for the first time since they were teamed together in the late 30s. They had worked together at Paramount. They were supposed to work together in 1954 for White Christmas, but uh, Donald O'Connor broke his ankle and ended up being replaced at the last minute by Danny Kaye. Interesting. So Paramount really wanted to bring them back together, and Donald O'Connor was riding the crest of success after singing in the rain and Call Me Madam. And this was also Bing Crosby's last big film at Paramount where he had been under contract for 23 years. And after this film was completed, he went to MGM and made High Society. So uh, Zizi Jean-Mier is the leading lady I'm and so Mitzi Gaynor that. is the other leading lady. <laughs> so you've got a wonderful cast of four tremendous talents. There are Cole Porter songs that were written for the Anything Goes stage play, including You're the Top. But, and the title song, but you also have original songs that were written for this film by Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen. So it's a lively, sparkling musical with choreography by Roland Petit. And now available on DVD, a lovely Paramount film from the Warner Archive collection. Speaking Next. of love. Uh, and lively and sparkly. <laughs> and music. <laughs> Brother, Son, Sister, Moon from 1972. Uh, Franco Zeffirelli's uh, bi biography of St. Francis of Assisi. I really find this film very interesting. It's my personal opinion because St. Francis's story is so extraordinary. It, it, Every generation should... Do Make their it. version of it because this is very much St. Francis seen through the lens of oh the my. late and 60s. There was a Fox film in the 60s yeah. that's called Francis of Assisi that is very, very literal and mm. not particularly interesting. But this is Zeffirelli coming off the extraordinary popularity of Romeo and Juliet, which stayed in theaters for forever. two, three, four years. Stayed in my high and school forever. And Paramount <laughs> gave him free reign to make this film, which has retained an enormous following. And Let's surprisingly... Donovan. Music by Donovan. Donovan. Some lyrics by St. Francis. <laughs> yeah. I'm, Donovan Leach. Speaking of love, the next film... <laughs> I'm sorry, I know where you're tells going. tells us I... to keep working on it. I am, of course, referring to Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And if you think this film is for the birds, you're wrong, oh. because it's wonderful. Now, what was, I, wait, was... I just want to say one thing about the title, because when I first saw the title, I went, oh, Jonathan Livingston and his seagull. That's what... No. Oh, no. Yeah. no. You see, this was a very surprising semi-generational gap. Okay. Because... Right. The book, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, sold like 50 million copies. It was in everyone's house. I turned to a colleague of ours, Doug, and I said, you remember Jonathan Livingston Seagull? And he was like, yeah, I think my house had three copies. Everybody was, had a copy. I, I mean, we one of the first, one house. of the first <laughs> adult books I ever read, I think I was in first or second grade, which shows you the level of the writing. But because uh, it's very simple, very parable. Because it was, it was from the point of a seagull. to be something yeah. that you would share and it was a cinematic interpretation it's, it's yeah. a very loose interpretation very loose, of yeah. the book not unlike how woody allen i 
I mean, it's a total <laughs> opposite. But Woody Allen, the <laughs> same year, yeah. uh, everything you always want to know about sex, he used the title of the book to create a film. No, that, it's that, almost the same concept that, yeah. here, but with a totally different The result. book is, is a sort of spiritual, Buddhist, religious parable about... Uh, seagull who dreams of exceeding his limits in his case initially of uh, being able to fly faster than a seagull right. is supposed to fly. Now you would think when you would approach this material the thing that comes to mind is oh well they'll do an animated, animated. cartoon. No. no. They have magnificent aerial shots oh, of my. seagulls in flight. I mean you know if you just turn the sound off and just watched it as a nature documentary it's quite breathtaking. But, but and most have... importantly it's from some of the same people that brought you Zero Hour. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> no, and stars totally the voice true. Of James Franciscus. <laughs> in watching this, it's it, it sort of wa- washes over you, and then you're like, "This is kind of incredible." And then just if now, if you're not familiar with the story, which I wasn't, it sure takes a left hand turn. Oh, so does the and, book. And I'm like, "Where where did this come from?" Because it's all told in the point of view of a seagull, and you're like, "Okay, I'm there." And then the seagull goes not just beyond what a seagull would expect in flying fast, but what I would expect as a human And, and let, let us say that between the master character that Jonathan meets and the speed effect, there's no question on my mind that George Lucas was a big fan of Jonathan Leaves the Seagull. And not because only that, we have Yoda in this. There is because you, so much You just Yoda. have a feeling that Jonathan Livingston Seagull is going to pop out of his hole and say, I knew I should have made that. I'm totally <laughs> I know, so I read. Wait, I have news though. Oh, sure. Jonathan Levy Siegel, Richard Bach recently completed the fourth section, and it's due for publication. So all the more reason why you want to own Jonathan Livingston Siegel now on DVD from the Warner Archive Collection. And rounding off our quintet of additional Paramounts this week, staying at the sea and, oh, and looking out at the water, from seagulls to the shore. We have Sam Elliott, young Sam Elliott, and Ann Archer starring in Lifeguard. And as Dan and I like to say, it stars Sam Elliott and his mustache. I really liked Lifeguard. Oh my god! Because this it was, was so it much was, fun. It's a precursor to the later beach movies, but it's still like a semi-serious seventies oh, character very study serious. with the elements of like the beach comedy, I, and also, of course, David Hasselhoff definitely saw yeah. this movie. Well, this it, is, it's a tragedy. The character is facing is he's thirty. Yeah, <laughs> thirty-two. He's turning. He's thirty-two. Oh, 30. See, he's I haven't seen the movie in so long. His, his, his high school. I thought he was 15th? turning thirty-five or twentieth. It was his thirty-two-year-old uh, lifeguard, and he's at his fifteen-year. So high that's school even reunion. worse. Yeah. But the thing is, I remember that when the film was coming out, this was like the tragedy of ageism. You know, like turning. You know, this, this uh, yeah, old third, age. He's becoming an old I man. Be. Um, reminiscent of being that young. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I, I was saying that this is, if you took Baywatch mm-hmm. and mixed it with Chinatown, okay. you'd get Lifeguard. <laughs> or Baytown. Or uh, China Watch. Uh, China or China Beach. Because he's facing an existential crisis in one of the most beautiful spots, but this is not back to the beach. And it was not at all intended to be serious, and it was not also particularly successful upon its initial release. It would have confused But it developed people. a cult following, especially as Sam Elliott's fame grew making westerns and appearing in lots of television 
miniseries and and films and Sam Elliott is now basically a, a household name and so well known. Yeah. Well, but watching his career happened in a later part right, of his I'm life. Right, and watching him in Lifeguard, you're like, wow, it's Sam Elliott was always Sam Elliott. Oh my God, <laughs> he is he is Sam He's Elliott. Got, like, and you're seeing the young Sam Elliott. And a lifeguard. And you know, he reminded me a little bit also is um, Scott Bakula. Oh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, kind of got a little so. bit of a but like uh, tougher Scott Bakula, like Scott Bakula with a little like Scott Bakula is a little more. Um, I don't know. You know, uh, Jonathan Archer's a pretty tough dude. Yeah. So, well, you know, I guess you're right. Uh, if you take a quantum leap in your thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, Parker Stevenson is in this as is Kathleen Quinlan. It's, yeah. a, it's a fun movie and it's an interesting Parker movie. Stevenson it, can't lose. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, ultimately, does he grow up or does he stay the lifeguard? Now, this is Watch only the, the beginning. Only the beginning of the slew of dozens and dozens of Paramount out-of-print DVDs will be coming to you from more archive collection in the coming months. And uh, the films that you've longed to own, that you haven't been able to get, that were available, will be coming available again from Paramount and Warner Archive that, Collection. That was 20 films. We that did it. That was 20 releases, including two television yeah. series. A lot to go through, but we have letters. All right, let's read just two. This letter is from David from Duluth. Oh, he drew a little something for us. <laughs> oh, I just love I, it. I, I love his handwriting. This is yeah, like this guy should be a comic book he's, he's, what he's beautiful got a font. Okay, wow. here we go. This is uh, in pen, pencil, That's like charcoal. Great handwriting. Uh, hi guys, love Warner Archive DVD collection. Love instant Warner Archive. Love the podcasts. And then he's drawn a little laptop with a WB shield. I love his handwriting. Yeah, me too. You guys keep coming out with so much that is obscure and hard to find. It seems inappropriate to waste your time asking about anything other than the insanely <laughs> arcane. So, star question. Do any of the Carl Dane, George K. Arthur Metro comedies survive? Any chance we'll see them ever? Some do, some don't. The ones that do, they need to be scored musically. But I'm hoping that we'll be able to bring at least one in the not-too-distant future because we've been talking about getting some more of our silence scored with music. So that's the answer to question one. But for fans of Carl Dane, we just have to do a little shout-out to our, our colleagues at Warner Home Video in their incredible release of The Big Parade that's coming out there this fall. An epic silent restoration available on Blu-ray and DVD. And Carl Dane, uh, his fame sprang from his appearance in The Big Parade. So, All right, here's second question. A pal insists Warner's has the rights to Wendy and Me, the George Burns, Connie Stevens series. Yes, is that true? Is it on its way to any time soon? Please, 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 please. Little cartoon of a guy praying. Keep up I the terrific work. Begging. Begging. Oh, oh I also praying. Okay. Dave and Duluth. Yeah. So right. the answer to that question is partially yes. We do have some ownership in that series. There are complications, and right now it is not cleared for release. Oh. But we do own a part of it, and we're hoping that we could bring it out because fans of Connie Stevens and George Burns would be very grateful. And I know I would, too. Thank you very much. So thank Dave. you, Dave and Duluth. Thanks, for your Dave. Great handwriting too. Uh, really uh, impressive. It w- your handwriting was not arcane. We would like and to turn that handwriting into a font. All right, here. This is from Oro Valley, Arizona. Oro means gold in Spanish. There's a self-addressed stamped envelope. That's a smart little addition. This is Michael in Oro Valley. And by the way, before I read his letter, let me just tell you where you can send the letter to. Please, Warner Archive Collection. 
B as in boy, 160-8-3400 Riverside Drive, Burbank, California, 91522. Gentlemen, this is my second missive to the WAC podcast crew, and I have three questions to ask. The first question concerns the Samuel Goldman material that you now have access to. Does this material include the films, other than Hans Christian Andersen, that Danny Kay did for Goldwyn, or do those films belong to Kay's estate? There have been previous DVD releases of some of these films, but the ones I have seen seem to be of poor quality considering the wonderful technicolor these movies were filmed in. I hope you have some distribution rights, and we can look forward to seeing these movies soon from Warner Archive. All those films are owned by the Samuel Goldwyn Family Trust, and they are licensed to Warner. So that's all we can say at the present time. My second question is about some titles from the earliest days of the Warner Archive collection. There were a number of titles that came out in the early months of your releases that disappeared from the Warner Archive catalog. Unfortunately, I can't remember any titles, but they were on my now lost wish list at one time, and when I went to order them, they were listed as no longer available. Are there any chances that these lost releases may return? I remember they were all pre-1935 films. That's think. actually not accurate. Yeah. Uh, there are some films that our rights expired. Right. And we were no longer able to distribute them, and we had to remove them from a small the handful. active WAC catalog. They are less than a half dozen. I'd say yeah. there's probably about five or six of five, them. Yeah. And they're all of relative recency, post-1950, post-1960, and not anything pre-1935. Everything else that has been released from the golden era remains active. Yeah, you may want to check with us. Maybe we can help you locate that. It might be a website issue. As to my final question, I'm trying to retire the last of my laser discs. And there are two films from the old Dawn of Sound and original for <laughs> Forbidden Hollywood collections that have yet to appear in the we archive already collection. already know he's good taste. <laughs> These are the 1929 The Last of Mrs. Cheney, and 1931 Big Business Girl. Are these films scheduled to appear anytime soon? I would love to upgrade these to DVDs with more up-to-date transfers. Thanks again to all of you and to the rest of the Warner Archive staff who keep up providing us with so many great and not and occasionally not so great but still fun classic films. <laughs> Mike from Oro Valley, Arizona. Well, we thank Mike, and we actually have remastered both lasts of Mrs. Cheney's, the 1929 Norma Shearer and the 1937 Joan Crawford versions, and those will be appearing in the future, the new masters of them. Big Business Girl needs to be remastered, hence it not being available at the moment, but it will be available once we remaster it. So, that's great. That ends the letter section. Let's just wrap it up by saying, watch Warner Archive Instant. We don't Absolutely. have to go over any. We went over oh, so I have my films. one one time. Right, if right. you do check out Warner Archive Incident and try it free for two weeks, you can watch the Jimmy Stewart show. Oh, yeah. The seldom seen sitcom starring Jimmy Stewart. And there's a very special episode in it in that Jimmy Stewart talked Beulah Bondi into coming out of retirement to play his mother for a fifth time. So make sure you stop by the Warner Archive Comic Con panels. Oh, yes. Make yes. sure you check out our Warner Archive Instant streaming service, yes. WarnerArchiveInstant.com. Oh. And we hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we'll look for the next one. I, I am George Feltenstein. Uh, before I say my name, Matt Patterson, I just wanted to say if you follow us on Twitter or on Facebook while we're at Comic-Con, we're going to be tweeting instructions to find us and we'll give you surprises of great value. 
so look for us at Comic-Con if you're there. We hope to meet you. Kilroy! Hey, he was here. Thanks for listening, and look for the next Warner Archive Collection podcast. <laughs>